It's White Coat Wednesday, which means we're going to talk about medicine. And Zane Chagla is here from St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. Nice to have you. Good morning, doctor. Hi, good morning, John. A couple of things in the news that I want to hear about. One of them would be this new Omicron subvariant, which is delightfully or perhaps not delightfully called Kraken. Yeah, I mean, I think we should refer to it by the scientific name, but that's just me. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we're hearing about this. This really caused a little bit of concern over the holidays that it was spreading very quickly in the United States. Uh, and at some point is probably made up about 70 percent of all the COVID cases in the northeast united states which obviously borders with canada um those areas have dealt with an increase in hospitalizations although there was an increase in hospitalizations that was noted through the holiday period which may have been just more transmission that occurred uh the variant looks like it is more immune evasive than prior variants. It looks like it is also a bit more transmissible. It sticks to our receptors a bit better. The good news is, though, is, is that, you know, current vaccines, including the bivalent vaccine, seem to still generate antibodies to it so, so people can take preventative steps. And that we are actually starting to see things like wastewater and hospitalizations in the Northeast United States peak and, and actually go down. So, yes, there probably is going to be some temporary pain. And for us, it's probably about 20 percent of the samples uh you know we'll probably see the increase in transmission in a month or two when it becomes the majority um but again like all other waves this seems to be limited it's not necessarily as bad as the original omicron showing up and again for vulnerable individuals getting up to date with your vaccines is still you know very effective in keeping you out of hospital in that sense another story that is definitely making the news this week is the new guidance on drinking and the guidance actually is two drinks a week is reasonable anything over that is risky. Do you subscribe to the idea that this is kind of like the beginning of the end of smoking or do you think people are going to change their behavior at all? Yeah, I mean, I think this is aspirational, but it does start larger conversations of, you know, the role of alcohol in society as compared to the role of other drugs. And, and you know, I think there is a recognition, you know, there, there are a few minor benefits of alcohol use that may reduce, uh, you know, uh, ischemic heart disease. But on the counter to that, there is a risk of cancer, there is a risk of liver disease, there's a risk of injury and accident of violence. And, and so, you know, those you know, risks probably way outweigh the benefits here. And and so, you know, I think that the, these guidelines are the strictest in the world, and they really come from a place to say, you know, if there is premature excess death in people's values of one in 100, one in 1,000, um, you know, would people be interested in that in terms of reducing their alcohol content and going down to one to two drinks a week or, or no more than two drinks a day or six days a week as a moderate amount of use where there is some health outcome data from it? I think, you know, as you said, people um, uh, may need to start recognizing recognizing that uh, uh, binge or, 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 or large alcohol use at one time may have deleterious effects. I think, you know, there was an interesting article in The Atlantic the other day that talked about how Gen Z is actually not as interested in alcohol as other generations. Um, and so, yeah, maybe the role of alcohol in society is 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 going to be much more downplayed and, and uh, really just as a, you know, something that certain people engage with, but not necessarily a front and center of things like celebrations, events and that type of thing. So we'll see, but but these guidelines are really meant to be aspirational and get people down on their intake, still allowing for some. Um, and, you know, everyone who makes a little bit of a difference in, in that, if they're at the 10 level going down to seven or eight, probably still get some health benefits from it. 
Meanwhile, uh, Moderna has announced a vaccine for the RSV. And well, you, I'll let you do the heavy lifting on this one. I mean, it's uh, that's a remarkable development. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I, I, it's funny when COVID started, we kept saying it's not as bad as the flu or RSV and, you know, and, our, you know, the flu and RSV are, are, you know, pretty reasonable. But I think we realized this year that the flu and RSV suck too as well and, you know, lead people to end up in, in hospital. We just didn't real recognize it because they've been gone for a couple of years. So this is a third vaccine now. The first mRNA vaccine for RSV was trialed in 60-year-olds and had an 80% reduction in RSV pneumonia in those individuals. So that's pretty remarkable. The nice part of this now is now we have three potential vaccines, two for elderly individuals and one for uh, pregnant individuals to essentially give antibodies to their children. And the nice thing about the mRNA vaccine potentially is it could, could be combined with other vaccines. We already have a COVID mRNA vaccine. There's work being done on a, an mRNA influenza vaccine. And so if they're all successful, they all could be given as a single shot. You know, instead of you know elderly individuals going for separate immunizations, going into respiratory season to protect themselves, a single immunization in a single opportunity could really do a lot to make sure that the right populations are reached. So really hope full. These, these vaccines will probably be available in 2023 if the data looks good. Uh, and so going into the next respiratory season, we may see a lot of benefit from RSV, which is well needed for you know decades of, of healthcare utilization from it. One last quick story, and this is about a man in Missouri who, this is the first negative story, Dr. Chagley, I've ever <laughs> read about pickleball, but he had a stroke because he was moving his head too quickly. Yeah, so now we can't drink and we can't play pickleball, but uh, um, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. So so this is a vertebral artery dissection. This is a, a freak thing that happens. The two arteries that run in the back of the head moving quickly, people can tear it. It's often associated with chiropractic therapy to the to the neck, and so that is one caution for people that, that can lead to this. Um, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate. Most people, you know, don't have these incidents, um, but trauma, particularly to that, that area of the back of the head, can sometimes lead to these tears and, and unfortunately lead to strokes in the balance center uh, of the brain, which can be pretty debilitating. So, you know, uh, play pickleball. I don't think it's a big issue. But uh, but again, uh, uh, you know, the one area to actually have a caution about is chiropractic therapy to the back of the neck, because that's really been described after that. Thanks for this. Good to have you this week. No problem. All the best.